Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast for film fans by film fans. Every episode, we look at films old and new to choose what should be preserved for all time in our movie vault. With lively topics, big questions, and crazy challenges to entertain us and our guests, we always look to have fun by giving you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a preview of what to expect in today's episode. I dare you to put knives out at <laughs> the top. Go on. Above <laughs> Agatha Christie. Go on, go on, do it. I, yeah, I'm going to because this particular <laughs> adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express was horrific. Poirot was terrible. So, yeah, I agree with you about number three and disagree about everything else, I think. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Are you not entertained? I am your father. Wait! Got you! Turn around! Well, good movies. Hello, and welcome to Well, Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I'm your host, David Osger, and I am joined by my co host. Everyone's been talking about The Crown recently, and this is our own royalty. He is Craig McDonald's, everyone. Well, it's about time you admitted it. <laughs> After the last episode, Craig, you know, I've walked into a new world. You know, we had the disaster, the end of the world, and, you know, I've seen the light. <laughs> That's good. And also, it has nothing to do with my gang of militia running around. <laughs> yeah, there's no threats, no threats. Uh, so, Craig, you know, we've had some interesting weeks here in Wales recently, lots of lockdowns, but, uh, you know, I thought it'd be good for a little catch up as, uh, you recently used the opportunity to, to watch something you'd be meaning to go through for quite a while, wasn't it? What have you been uh, checking out? Well, I realize I've been missing out on a lot of, um, general series, uh, and I've had a, a lot of recommendations I should go through, you know, things like Breaking Bad, The Wire, The Crown, uh, lots of fantastic suggestions. Uh, I decided to ignore all of them and watch the entirety of Cobra Kai. <laughs> Bear in mind, I have no affinity for the Karate Kid films. I've, I've never seen them in full, but I just wanted to watch Cobra Kai because I just like the idea of some arsehole from the 80s deciding <laughs> I'm going to teach other kids how to, how to do really, really brutal karate. It's good fun. Yeah, it makes sense, actually, because, like I said, sometimes it is interesting because you said, wasn't it, like having the protagonist, antagonist idea of it is 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 different it's weird yeah they've basically just taken the bully from the original karate kid film and just made him a down on his luck uh protagonist but they still keep that edge to him so that uh the entire reason that he he wants to teach karate is because he just doesn't like the new generation because it's just basically for lack of a better word it's just too snowflakey for him uh and he's just and and but it, it leads to some really interesting things like he hates the idea of like online bullying and trolling because there's just no bravery to it. It's just like, if you're going to insult someone, do it to their face. Wow. <laughs> Fair play. Well, yeah, like I said, I, I mentioned The Crown because I've been recently watching that. And it's kind of a similar thing there where you're kind of like watching these characters that you sometimes support and sometimes don't at all, you know, because obviously there's the aspect of like, oh, they're completely different to us. And, oh, it's interesting because it's history. And then they go and like shoot a stag or something. And I'm like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> like why? You know, like when they're like hunting animals and stuff, I'm like, I don't like it. Stop doing that. And then they do something else, which is like, you know, admirable or commendable. And then you're like, this is so weird. You know, you, 
you don't often get characters which are so like polarizing especially because they are of the higher class and you get like the queen mother like oh we have to mix with the the rabble and all this kind of stuff and you're like the rabble are the most of the people who watch this show. This is what's strange about it. <laughs> I just think people like being insulted because I think whenever an insult like that comes along, they can go, that's us! Yay! We're <laughs> yeah. acknowledged! Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, we'll get on to what our main topic is today, anyway, which is murder mysteries. Uh, today is 27th of November, and Ryan Johnson's Knives Out came out this time last year. I know, it was a weird time, guys. There was actually this thing called cinemas, and they released films on a weekly basis, and you could go and see them in public with many people in a room. And uh, so we're looking back on those fond memories today with uh, one of the big surprises of last year, which was Knives Out. There was a massive throwback to this sort of oddball genre, and it was... You know, quite a big hit for what it was. They've already announced a sequel, um, so we're going to see, you know, Daniel Craig return. It'll be a new mystery, and it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime. So it's also been great for a lot of people this year because it's been something that they could watch during lockdown, etc. So uh, yeah, if you haven't checked out Knives Out, do check it out. Uh, but you know, this idea came to us from one of our previous guests. Uh, she is a good friend of the show. You might have caught her on our musical or Eurovision episodes, but today she's not talking about music. She's talking about uh, whodunits. <laughs> it is Kiara. Hello, Kiara. Hi. Thanks for inviting me back. Oh, it's no problem. Well, you you, you set us the challenge, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do love a good murder mystery. Yeah. Before we go into, like, the reasons of the murder mystery, I do know to, to link us still slightly to mu- musicals, I know that in your first episode, we did talk about musicals because Frozen 2 was coming out. And I know recently, I think you did watch Frozen 2, wasn't it? So the opinions of Frozen weren't too high in that episode. So now what, what was the opinions of Frozen 2 after watching it? I just, Frozen 2 compared to Frozen 1 is just so much worse. <laughs> the original Frozen was okay, but like not the best thing I've ever seen. Frozen 2 is just horrific. I mean, Craig can tell you when we were watching it, it took me about 10 minutes in to go, this is unreliable narration. And then the plot made no sense. So, no. Yeah. I was not a fan. So, in terms of Disney sequels, you've got you've got other other ones in mind you would prefer to have. Is, is it a Moana? You know, like, there's some people out there who are like, I prefer Moana than Frozen. Or Tangled, that's another one. Or... I think Moana is definitely kind of top of my list currently of the, the modern Disney. But um, for the sake of my childhood, I've got to say that the original Snow White is forever going to be the best Disney film, full stop. Yeah. But then you don't want to touch that with a sequel. So, you know, they don't want to, don't want to ruin that. They'd better never try it. <laughs> Thankfully, so far, it's one of the few they have not tried in any capacity, which makes sense, given that what on earth would you do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but please don't jinx it, because now we're talking about it. You know that that's going to be the first announcement of 2021. Just so that it can rival 2020 for being a terrible year. True, true. So back to murder mysteries. What What is it about this genre and this type of film that, you know, made you want to talk about it and bring bring it on the show today? To be honest, I couldn't tell you. I just know that I absolutely love a whodunit. I have seen every single episode of Midsummer Murders and that's been running since 1990. Wow, that is quite an accomplishment. Every time I watch that, I'm like... This is just the same thing. So hats off. Hats off. It is. I normally f- remember about halfway through who did it, but they do kind of all blend into one another after a while, except my few favorite episodes. I know we're supposed to be talking about film, but those things are two hours each. So I think they pretty much count as films that happen to be on TV. Yeah. 
and like I said, streaming is such a big thing this, you know, this year, you know, a lot of people are going through binge watching and TV programs. C- can you actually answer the question as to why there are so many murders in Midsummer? Have, you know, have you been have you been able to come to that conclusion yet? I just think the perennial question is why there's always someone setting up a new business in somewhere that is famous <laughs> for getting people killed. Like, <laughs> it doesn't seem a very good employee retention plan to me. Makes sense. And uh, what was it about Knives Out that stood out to you? Was it this year? Was the first time you'd watched it? or? So, yeah, I think I watched it for the first time during lockdown, actually, because um, it was one of those that I kept meaning to see in the cinema but never actually got around to yeah. in the time where I wasn't prioritising cinemas because I didn't realise that there wasn't going to be a possibility in the future. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just I love a good whodunit, and it's one of those films that should have been terrible and wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's a good way of putting it. And uh, yeah, it's got a lot of the classic tropes that I'm sure we'll be talking about later. Uh, so joining us as well today, uh, we saw who better when we're talking about, you know, murder mysteries, the theatrics of it all, is uh, somebody who is an entertainer himself. He is an actor. It's his first time on the show. It is Paul Cornish. Hello. Oh, thank you very much. Hello. How are we, Dave? Very good. Uh, obviously, Paul, we uh, know each other from the days of student short films. Uh, I thought it was quite funny, actually, when I was thinking back on this, uh, even though obviously you're a man of many talents, you know, play different roles, been in adverts, film, etc. There was kind of a theme of like death with the films that I mainly knew you from because you were in the waiting room in which you play a man who's died and then you also played a priest in one of the other short films of that year which is obviously then you know funerals churches all that kind of stuff I was wondering where you were going with that then I thought yeah. you were going to say all the films I've been in have died no um, but, <laughs> well um... I, I don't know you could you could have said that afterwards I don't know <laughs> yeah I've done a little bit of acting as you say and um, I've done a lot of stuff it's all been performance based um, a lot of it variety on the stage um, uh, I've been a, a professional magician as you know for uh, for, for quite a while uh, done bits and bobs of acting work and more recently, of course, what with all this um, this pandemic and everything that's going on, all the work's dried up. So it's given me a chance to do something I've been meaning to do for a long time, and that is um, try and go down the streaming route. When lockdown actually occurred and I found myself stuck in the house, I, I'd taken immunosuppressant drugs, so I was one of those that uh, that was not allowed to go out at all, essentially. So I was uh, I, I was a prisoner in my own house for about five or six months or so. Um, but what I realised at that point was all my entertainment work had actually dried up. But I had the perfect skill set um, to be able to try and go online. The, the light came on, so to speak, when I was watching YouTube and I saw this uh, this guy was doing a quiz and he had 170,000 people viewing this quiz. And I, I looked at the quality of what he was actually presenting and I thought, oh, right, okay, I think I could do a little bit better than that. He started the show by going, hi, hello, how are you? Welcome to the... Oh, we've got to go out and clap for the nurses. And he went away for 15 minutes, leaving the screen completely blank. It came back and went, oh, right, there you go. Um, Then he went through the quiz and I thought it was... um, I, I, not my cup of tea, should we say. Um, and I thought, I, I could give this a bash if he's getting 170,000 views. So I put... Uh, a quiz together called uh, Squiz. And the reason it was called Squiz was, it was the S was for scratch card because I took the concept, I had this concept of, well, why don't I, I can't 
give away real money, but I'd like to give something away uh, on the quiz to try and, you know, make it a little bit different from all the other quizzes that are out there. So I thought, well, why don't I do online interactive quiz, but the winner at various points during the course of the competition uh, will actually win a scratch card. Uh, And we did about 42 episodes altogether. um, And I've never been a marketer. I've been a performer. I've never been a marketer. We tried Facebook advertising and everything, but it, it wasn't really... It wasn't really pulling in um, uh, anybody. So it got to the stage whereby we were still enjoying doing it. Um, there were two reasons I started in the beginning. First of all was to to actually see if I could make the thing work. And secondly was to use it as a, a practical vehicle to gel all the skills together, to learn uh, the art of uh, uh, presenting and streaming and everything. So I thought at the end of the day, even if the quiz doesn't work, I'll have I'll have uh, practice in all of this stuff, and I can go out and offer my services to uh, to other people to present uh, various bits and bobs that um, they might want presented to advertise their business. So um, yeah, and it's it's something like you said, you know, you can look back on hopefully in twenty twenty and sort of say like, oh well, you know, that's what we had to do because of this lockdown, etc. You know, and I sure a lot of other entertainers and you know people who did streaming will look back on that. As well, like I said, I know we've had people previously on, you know, et cetera, people who do music or who do like drag, et cetera. And like I said, once I'm sure they can get back into the live performance area, then they will go straight back to there as soon as they can. Um, So, yeah, well, we look forward to chatting with you as well, Paul, about murder mysteries today. We've got a few different films that we're talking about. Um, I know Craig was just, you know, looking in shame as you were talking about that guy who walked out, you know, for 15 minutes <laughs> clapping the nurses as a fellow, as a fellow quiz master, you know, he, you know, he, he would never think of doing that. <laughs> I just think why on earth would you not have yourself on screen as much as possible? Because, you know, the worst thing would be somebody clicks onto your stream that there's no one there and they go, oh, okay, bye. Yeah. Yeah, because to, yeah, to be clear, obviously the, the clapping thing is fun, but you wouldn't want, you would want to show everyone that. You would want to show your street. You wouldn't be like, right, I'm going to go clap now, guys, but you can't hear it. Like, I'm just going to go and you just watch my living room. <laughs> or hell, just start your stream at like 8 to 10. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be a fun episode today anyway, guys. Thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, it's... Obviously, in celebration of, you know, Knives Out coming out this time last year. But as uh, everyone knows at home, you know, we love a good challenge. We love to go through different genres. And murder mysteries definitely are like a very specific genre. As Kiara said, there's a lot of television murder mysteries, especially even with, you know, you've got Agatha Christie is probably one of the biggest ones. And she gets a lot of television specials, etc. But, you know, they do creep into, you know, film now and again. Uh, you've had like, you know, the 70s had like a lot of different plays with, you know, the, the genre. You had like, you know, the Pink Panther films, etc. You know, the 90s, you know, you had films, you know, like, you know, Clue and then, you know, leading up to Gosford Park in the beginning of the 2000s. And uh, yeah, you know, recently it's had, you know, somewhat of a resurgence. It's, it's you know, still a niche sort of market. But, you know, there's those two films that have uh, have prevailed which is knives out and in 2017 we had murder on the orient express which was uh, brought to us by kenneth branner um, and that meant that we were getting a sequel which was uh, death on the nile which was again meant to come out this year but uh you know a certain uh beer based <laughs> uh beverage 
you know, got in the way. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we're going to be talking about those different films today. We're going to be checking out Knives Out, Murder on the Orient Express, Clue and Gosford Park to give us a good scope of the different tropes and, you know, themes of these movies. And uh, yeah, if you haven't checked them out before, uh, you know, go check them out. And I'm sure, like I said, here, guys, I'm interested in what you think. You know, they're whodunits, but do we talk about who? done it you know so i think we before we even talk about any of the films do do we mention do we say now there's going to be spoilers or are we gonna we're gonna keep the mystery you know alive oh, if there's anyone on earth who doesn't already know the ending to murder on the orient express <laughs> they should not be listening to a podcast about murder mystery <laughs> very true very true uh well yeah we'll take it on a case-by-case basis then <laughs> but murder on the orient express yeah definitely you should know that one i also think with clue yeah. it is very hard to be able to discuss who did it Given the fact the film itself cannot decide, yeah, exactly. And if if you if you were if you went to see it when it originally came out, then you might have a different idea to the person who, uh, who some other person who went to go watch it as well. So, but we'll start off with the film that triggered this conversation, which is *Knives Out*. Uh, it is a detective investigating the death of a you know eccentric author, and you know he's got a very big family, and it's the typical tropes of you know they've all got their different you know, reasons that they could have potentially committed this crime. And the more it unravels, the more it becomes a very elaborate story. Um, It's directed by Rian Johnson and stars Daniel Craig, Chris Evans and Anna de Armas. So, yeah, general thoughts of it as, you know, what what we all think. You know, Craig, we'll start with you. Yeah, I I love this film. I think, first of all, I think just... As, a, as an homage to murder mysteries in and of itself, just trying to build up the idea of these incredibly charismatic but just unlikable people making you believe any one of them could have done it. I just think that they all did a fantastic job. I think that like, the casting is especially good. But I also just like the fact that it tried to... Uh, I think the way it tried to subvert people's expectations about the film by... Like, I don't think that... I This is a spoiler, technically, but not in the way that you'd expect. Uh, the film basically shows you who the killer is and how circumstances actually occur pretty much just before the halfway mark so it basically transforms from a traditional murder mystery into will the killer get away with this crime and then what are the overall outcomes of this especially when things like the will reading uh happen so it just has like a a really different vibe to the point that you're actively at times potentially rooting against uh the investigation team as it stands so for me it really stands out on that um i also just think daniel craig does a a a great job at leading it even though like his initial lines in the uh southern droll are are a little bit awkward and off-putting but i think the way they introduce him just sitting in the shadow is just great and he just does a brilliant job at you know filling in the gap in this massive donut hole that we have in the story yeah i can't say enough about this film i mean like obviously it has like some minor issues here or there but um i just had a great time with it uh kiara what did you think i really enjoyed it i mean i always love a good murder mystery and like you say it has a few of the the tropes of a murder mystery that it it just does them really well and to be honest i was not expecting to like this film because i thought oh god hollywood is trying to do the most british of film genres and i thought it was going to go horribly wrong and yet it didn't and it came out really well. And clearly just everyone was having such a good time having it up. Like Daniel Craig with the insane Southern accent of talking about donut holes within donut holes. 
he was just clearly having the time of his life and really relishing the character. And the same with Chris Evans, you know, being pretty much the opposite of Captain America. I just thought the casting worked out so well. Yeah, I've got to talk about Chris Evans. I think he probably had, uh, I know that David and I really love this scene. Uh, but it's basically during the will reading because he's the he's essentially like the the prodigal son who basically well, I don't think that's the right term but he basically is the son that just returns out of nowhere. Um, he's meant to be cut out of the will and all the family are going. This is the best thing that'll ever happen to you. The will happens. They're all cut out. They're all going mad and he's just there driving around in circles on the lawn. This is the best thing that's ever happened to you. Just absolutely trolling it up. It's just fantastic. It's a classic example of just like when a line is dropped earlier in the script and then it just like comes back in such a beautiful way. I just love it when when stories are able to do that. Yeah. And he also um, I was watching some behind the scenes footage and it was also it was also Chris Evans idea to change. Uh, you know, the scene where they basically they're sitting all together and they basically say this is the best thing that happens to you. And he basically turns and says, eat shit. He was the one who suggested it had to be those exact words. And I'm so glad of it because I just love Michael Shannon's response was, I will never eat that amount of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How did you think uh, this film went for you, Paul? Right. Well, I'm going to take, I'm going to go the other side of the fence completely on this. Um, Because it didn't sit right for me. Um, And I think a lot of the time uh, it's to do with your expectations. And I went in expecting it to be a murder mystery. Uh, it was advertised as a whodunit. Um, and I thought it was going to be more of a classic um, sort of Agatha Christie type of film. And it became very apparent from the word go that, as you said, Chiara, they were hamming this up big style. Not to the extent that it was a comedy, but also, but over the, the the threshold of being, you know, this is this is this is normal. So I didn't know where to put it in my little head. I thought, is this a comedy? Isn't it a comedy? Um, as you say, Daniel Craig's Southern drawl really didn't. It didn't. It just didn't sit right with me. I thought, no, that. Now, don't get me wrong. All of the actors. Fantastic. They they were obviously directed in whatever direction that, that, that they were told to go because it was all it was all highly exaggerated, almost a, almost a cartoon. I just I, I just it wasn't what I expected. So as a result, I came out going, uh, no, it it didn't make me laugh, but it wasn't intellectual enough uh, or gained my interest enough for it to be a. Um, a, a proper whodunit piece. And also it seemed when they actually revealed um, who had done it and why, it seemed a m- massive jump of assumptions. You know, for me, to, to have a good whodunit film, all the points and all the um, the clues have got to be there. And I like the satisfaction at the end of going, oh yeah, of course, that and that. Why didn't I put that and that together? To, to make that, yeah, I understand now, and you feel fulfilled with it. With this, I, I just didn't. It, it was, yeah, all the facts of the film fitted into it, but he might as, just well, as well have said, ah, yes, but a green alien came down on Thursday wearing pink shoes, and he shot him. Uh, and because so-and-so, and it seemed as it, it wasn't logical to me at all. I wouldn't recommend it as a film of its genre, but obviously you two quite do. What did you think of it, Dave? 
Yeah, I, I I saw I did I really loved it when I saw it in the cinema. As to like rewatchability, I think when I did watch it back, I was just like I'm not sure if it holds quite the same impact when you first see it because obviously you know everything that happens. But I suppose that would be the case with with any murder mystery. But there wasn't the element of like oh I didn't notice that last time or you know watching how it unravels kind of thing because it's more the oh wow you know it actually you know that wasn't the case and oh you know now it's become this kind of film whereas you know again you're not going to get that on on the second time round i think the main enjoyment is again the characters the theatrics of it all and i think that's what rian johnson really loves about it is that he wants to to play up the larger than life aspects of it so um yeah i i can understand where you're coming from it wasn't so much that i found it like a mess i do still love it um because there's loads of stuff i I appreciate about it, but I I can understand where you're coming from um, because I think the the like Craig, I have just some minor stuff with it, uh, but on the whole, I think it's a really great film and one of the, one of the best of last year. Also, I think that uh, just quickly, I think Benoit Blanc is more of a like you said, he he goes off presumptions rather than actual you know specifics, and I think that that's Rian Johnson wanted to do the like we're going to talk about with murder on the orient express is that idea of he gets invested in the person and they wouldn't do this and that that's why they did this because that's what kind of person they are he's going off more that kind of vibe rather than the i'm a man of detail and i'm the man who looks at specifics and again you know it it happens quite clearly again i suppose in gosford park later on doesn't it when the detective is just ignoring like physical evidence etc but uh yeah yeah, i I do love (laughs) it but yeah i can understand the flaws people have with it I do have to question, though, the the kind of the assumption that it is. It's not a traditional whodunit, but it does still have the same tropes as kind of the old murder mysteries. And you do have situations where even the queen of the whodunit, Agatha Christie, um, there's that play. I think it's Verdict. One of the Agatha Christie plays has the murder on stage as the first scene. And then the rest of the play is effectively everyone else figuring out who did it but obviously the audience already knows because they've just watched the murder so I do think it is part of that kind of historic view of the whole murder mystery genre that you do have occasionally it's not a straightforward detective lays it all out at the end yeah because even uh, even Columbo is it Columbo that bases the entire premise on every episode they show you the murder and who it is at the beginning and then it's just what it's just watching to basically see exactly how it's uncovered so yeah, no, I do love, I love Columbo. I do like Columbo. But then I think probably what happened, uh, I think then the difference in that situation is it never advertised itself as a just try and work out the murder for yourself sort of thing. So I, I get that. I can understand that like the way in which a, a film is often advertised to, some, uh, to someone can lead them so much down a path that when that path is then essentially roadblocked, it changes the way you view the rest of the film. I think it's, I think a lot of it comes down to then how well you adapt, adapt to that. Um, I think for me, given the, like, I was just, I was just happy to have something. I mean, I don't try and expect anything about films anymore. I just, I'm just happy that we got something that it gave me a feeling I never thought I would expect, which is just potentially rooting for a murder. I'm just like, okay, fair. <laughs> um, also just the exact, uh, with regards to the exaggeration, I think, I think that comes part and parcel with a film that does try and go, I'm massively going to subvert uh, the murder mystery tropes in this way uh, and just take the type of characters we're talking about and just make, um, and make them so unlike, uh, make them so unlikable, which I think in order for the middle to work, I think that needed to happen. 
because um, otherwise there's just nobody in the film you can invest in. For me, it's sort of fitted in. If we look at all the films that we we that we're going to discuss, if you look at cl- as Clue on one side of the fence, right, the complete comedy, uh, and you look at say Merger on the Orient Express on the the other side, right, which is your complete traditional. This was probably slam bang in the middle, yeah? And I felt it didn't know whether it was, personally, I felt I didn't know whether it was one thing or another. And I don't think that, I I never did get happy with Daniel Craig's accent. I just, just, to me, to me, uh, I think Dick Van Dyke did a better job on Mary Poppins. Um, oh, wow. But, <laughs> but I'm not saying it was bad. I, I don't know whether it was just that I couldn't see him doing that accent because I've seen him in so many other things. Yeah. I don't know what that accent should have been like. It could have been spot on, but it did seem very caricatured uh, to me. But I, I think, again, that to me, I, I got that. I think the movie almost does it a bit too late in some respects because like you said you go through the entire film like are they going for this are they trying to do that and by the end when one of the characters calls him foghorn leghorn i'm like you definitely are going for like the intentional cliche vibes here if you've called him foghorn leghorn which everyone is thinking throughout the entire film then i think that there is that element of like playfulness and sat you know like you said i don't think it's like a full comedy like clue is but i think it's more like that element of satire it's got like you know a satirical undertone with it and the fact that like poirot as well who's quite a larger than life character um that you know benoit blanc is this sort of larger than life character almost as well like a bit like inspector clouseau you know that he's kind of just like stumbling his way across the entire thing and then at the end actually manages to piece it all together somehow so i think it's the theatrics of that and i've got to be honest i'm excited to see benoit blanc you know solve another mystery in the next one because it's how say you know i don't know where they're going to set the film i don't know new york or something like that or they're in another part of the world or even australia or something i am looking forward to then these people reacting to this very strange southern character you know it it there is there is an intriguing element there i think because it's so jarring because it is so bizarre it does lead to one of my favorite lines of the film which is csi kfc there's <laughs> <laughs> a doctor who episode where they have agatha christie in it and again they go down the line of oh wouldn't it be fun if agatha christie was involved in one of her own like murder mysteries kind of thing so it's the idea of the author being a part of their own own mystery which again it I know Benoit Blanc isn't, you know, an author or anything like that, but it's that idea of the elaborate storyteller is like the heart of it kind of thing. Well, that actually was true, wasn't it? That the Doctor Who episode that they based Agatha Christie on, that there was a, 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 there were two or three days in her life that she went missing, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was sightings of a giant wasp in, the, <laughs> in England. No, I don't know. Yeah, I think that might have been a little bit of theatrical license, but. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Who exaggerating things about the historical past. No. So we were talking about, like I said, the theatrics. And as Paul pointed out, you know, there's the two sides of, you know, the track, which, you know, like on a track, you need to have a train. So, you know, this uh, chat about murder on the Orient Express. There are many different versions of this, uh, which is worth pointing out. But I thought, as we're talking about the 2017 one, because I know 
there are a lot of people who have problems with it, but I thought it was interesting that it was successful enough to make uh, Death on the Nile. And they even at the end have the whole, you know, it's like, it reminded me of like Batman, you know, like this or the Joker card. Oh, you know, there's a new villain on town. Is They give him like the next case right at the end. Uh, they, oh, there's a problem on the Nile. And it's like, it's like, what? But I kind of did love it kind of thing. It's, um, it's kind of like what somebody said before. I think I've told you this before, wasn't it, Craig? When you watch... Uh, which film is it when at the end you get the tease as to the Watergate scandal? At oh, the, the, uh, the post. Yeah, so it was as if like that was like, you know, the the historical version of, a, of an end credit scene in which lots of like uh, people who know their American history are like, ooh. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, this was directed by Kenneth Branagh, also stars Kenneth Branagh, uh, and then... Uh, like the other films, I think as well, this is worth mentioning that there's always this all-star cast. Um, I think interesting to know which one has the best all-star cast because Gosford Park definitely has quite a lot of like British gems in it. But, you know, this one tries its best as well. You know, you've got uh, Tom Bateman, you've got Penelope Cruz, Willem Dafoe, Judy Dench, Johnny Depp, Josh Gad, Derek Jacobi, who we've also seen in another film, uh, Leslie Odom Jr., Michelle Pfeiffer, Daisy Ridley, uh, Olivia Coleman, so you know, plenty of you know well-known actors here, and like I said, obviously a very well-known story. So, uh, you know, Ki- Kiara, what what was your thoughts on? Have you seen other versions of it many times before? I, I assume so from television. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I've seen a couple of versions, and obviously, I've read the book because you can't love a murder mystery without having read Murder on the Orient Express. So, yeah. I don't think that's a possibility. Um, I would say. I love the story because I love Murder on the Orient Express. I hate Kenneth Branagh's Poirot. He's mm. just awful. Like, and it's not just because David Suchet has played him so well for so long on TV that it's really hard to see the, the kind of anyone else in the role. But yeah. it's also just the way that he plays Poirot is kind of, it's the caricature of what you think Poirot is if you've not read the books. Like the horrific, huge fake moustache and the borderline OCD tendencies. Whereas when you get into it, like that's not actually what the character is and kind of it's taking the mannerisms and exaggerating them so much that they come out the other side and you lose all the personality, which is what makes the stories good. Um, but I mean, it's still a nice whodunit. It's just Poirot just spoils it for me. He's so bad. I normally like Kenneth Branagh. It's just so, so horrifically bad a performance of being Poirot that I can't get over it. It's also very chauvinistic, I think, as well. I do sometimes you can have like directors in their own projects or writers, and sometimes it can work. It depends on the tone, but I don't think Kenneth Branagh is sometimes. Maybe sometimes it works, but I don't think he's enough of a. I don't know. I'm trying to think of another good example, but you know, he's not enough of a stylistic or performance-based actor to really warrant it. I think that was very evident, you know, this year in a Tenant, in which you know everyone was like, you know, talking about his dodgy Russian accent. You know, he's he's not a good enough actor to sort of justify like, well, I need to be the leading role, especially when it is someone like Paro who could be played by a lot better actor. And yeah, like I said, it does seem like he was just like, well, we've had that ridiculous mustache. Let's go like ten times more ridiculous moustache and it is a crazy moustache and yeah to me this is a lot more style than substance like it looks like a very pretty film it looks very nice you know it's all the stuff on the train and it's very nice to see all these actors and performers etc um but it does come across as one of those sort of remakes which is likeness get all these big names 
to do this film. Um, but I did think Death on the Nile, did, from the trailers, that actually looked better, I thought. That looked pretty promising because you had, again, maybe not, maybe because I suppose the book it's based on is not as famous as Moon or on the Orient Express. But I don't know, you had like Gal Gadot, I think, is in it, etc. It just seemed like it was, it was a bit more substance to it rather than just like oh we're doing murder on the orient express you know and and like you said it's you know that film is very much based on him like you know with his breakfast and his eggs and all that kind of stuff in it that was just so appalling that opening scene made me hate it already from the beginning <laughs> because the poirot that i know would not be berating poor wait staff because like <laughs> eggs are different sizes yeah. this is not a thing that's not part of the character that's just being a word that I'm probably not allowed to say because we were told not to swear. <laughs> yeah, it just ruined the whole film. And you just can't get over the central character being so wrong. Yeah. Is is there anything else you think that's like detrimental to it as a murder mystery? Or like, do you think it's still successful as a murder mystery, but just maybe not successful as a, as a whole, as a film or as an adaptation? I mean, I think the thing is, it's Murder on the Orient Express, right? It's It's the perfect murder mystery, but everyone always knows who did it. It's mm. like we said at the beginning, you can't not know the ending to that. It's one of those weird things because it's almost a trope in itself. I can't think of any other murder mystery where the answer is everyone did it. Mm. And yet somehow it's a cliche just from that one story being so good and so iconic. So yeah. I, as much as I enjoy murder mysteries, I'm not sure how many times you can really remake that one without treading old ground. Yeah. What, what did you think, Paul? Right, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. I swear I'm not going opposite. <laughs> yes, on purpose. All right. I think this is a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier on, and that is expectation. Now, I haven't really read any Agatha Christie books. I haven't seen, I've occasionally seen snippets of David Suchet's um, Poirot. So I didn't go in uh go into this with any view at all whatsoever i thought kenneth branner was all right (laughs) (laughs) i can see oh yeah put put that shovel down right Uh, (laughs) um i thought he was okay i can understand how you thought he was a bit perhaps cliche but if you were to compare or if i was to compare in my opinion kenneth branner's poirot Daniel Craig's character in Knives Out, I would say Poirot was far more believable, even though they are both, to a certain extent, uh, a caricature. Um, And I enjoyed this. And out of the four that we had to watch, uh, I said had to watch, (laughs) like school assignment, (laughs) you had to watch it. Out of the four that, uh, that I watched, I personally enjoyed this um, more than um, than the others because you knew where you stood right from the very beginning. It was a traditional murder mystery. It was filmed, I thought, um, very, very well indeed. Some of the camera angles were a bit, uh, you know, were a bit um, questionable. But I, I've never read any Agatha Christie, but I did realise, I did want to know why, and you might be able to tell me this, right? Murder mystery, Hercule Poirot, the greatest detective in the world, about, and this is a, a, a script, a plot, plot um, point, obviously, about uh, halfway through, he realises that 
everybody on that train has a uh, has a link to the character that has died. All right. Now there are twelve characters. There are twelve stab wounds. At that point, right? I wouldn't have need, even me with a, a relatively insufficient intelligence would have gone. Yeah, this is a bit more of a coincidence here. I know what's happened, and yet he did go down the uh, go down the route. Mm, yeah, it could have been so. It could have been so and so. So, but that was that was minor, really. But um, why why didn't he do that? Why didn't he at that point? Go on, go on. In the book, he only reveals it at the end, like it's just purely because they wanted to keep the film going on, right? I think because in the book we only find out right at the end that he's done it and there's none of that melodrama of are they really killers will they kill him with the gun and that kind of thing so in, the book, in the book you don't learn that everybody's got links to that second crime until right at the very end yeah pretty much ah right well that would make a lot more sense because as soon as you realize that there's 12 stab wounds and that everybody on the thing had the, exactly the same motive once that is is revealed halfway through the film, then you start to go, well, hold on, why is he, why is he dithering here? I must say, I did like the recreation of uh, Da Vinci's Last Supper um, at the end when they're all sitting in the tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) That that was odd. No, that was just pure additional (laughs) drama for no reason whatsoever, except for Kenneth Branagh to have an excuse to stride around. (laughs) Yeah, it came across as such a, like, theatre moment, didn't it? Like, oh, we're going to have this nice set piece where they're all sat in, like, the sunlight, you know, and I was just like, what is going on here? Yeah. yeah, apparently I just saw as well that it was uh, one of the few films to uh, to be filmed in 65 millimeter cameras. So that's a big reason, I suppose, it looks so good. And you get a lot of those, you know, crane shots, don't you, over the train, etc., showing yeah. what's happening, etc. But yeah, I, I think like Paul said, is sometimes it thro- tries to throw you for a loop a bit more, but then in some ways confuses you more because you're like, well, was it multiple, you know, like, are they going for the aspect of... You know, it was half of them or, you know, like that kind of thing, you know. So it is strange in, in, in that aspect. Out of all the four films, I probably felt a little bit more satisfied with this. Perhaps just because I felt a little bit more cultured having watched yeah. an Agatha <laughs> Christie piece. Yeah. <laughs> but it did have that, it had that opulence about it. It had that, that grandeur about it. It had that old-fashioned feel to it you know no i'll have to see i haven't seen any of the others so um yeah yeah i think one of the uh big recommended ones is uh and again because there's uh, somebody that me and craig watch a lot uh called just right um and he does like a video essay about knives out and he talks about some of the influences there and he talks about how there's often this trope of having satire and being self-referential and especially in the murder on the orient express he uses yeah i assume it's this one is in 1974 uh which is played by albert finney you know he says that he very much goes for like you know the larger than life sort of aspects of the character so yeah i think that you know, it, it's hard to, you know, hold the suspense, especially if you've seen many of the adaptations before, especially when they go in through each of the people uh, on the train. Uh, but yet, you know, I think to me, it just was too sort of just, you know, it was a three star. It was OK. It was fine. It was good. But it was just nothing spectacular. But at the end of the day, with the source material and how many adaptations, 
you know, is there any other way to go with it, really? But, you know, that that's the modern ones we've had, you know, some of the, the older uh, films, you know, going back. Uh, so, Clue. Okay, where do I begin? So, this is the out-and-out comedy of the bunch. Uh, obviously, uh, they're also massively ha- uh, basing this film off of the board game uh, that we know as Cluedo, uh, but the Americans uh, refer to it uh, wrongly. Uh, so, obviously, you have all of the uh, you have the cast of characters that we're used to from the board game, uh, having been given those aliases because they all have they all have secret lives that are being blackmailed and uh, threatening. Uh, and there's the threat of reveal until somebody is able to kill Mister Body. Yes, that is actually his name, Mister Body. Um, and again, I think for the time as well, this has like a fantastic uh, group of like just out there actors. You have. You have Tim Curry and Christopher Lloyd in the same cast, and you were expecting things not to go like out there. Um, so yeah, I I gotta say I do love this film just because of how absolutely manic they make it. Um, you have you literally get to the point where like uh, uh, Tim Curry uh, as like the butler, I think his name is like Podmore, isn't there something? Is it Podmore? Oh, I thought it, I thought I thought it began with W's, like Wattsworth or something. Oh yes, it is. Yeah, you are right. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he's literally he's literally taking everyone through the steps of what happened, and he's just running all over these rooms. But he's doing such an enthusiastic run, and it's just there, like, and then they went to the kitchen. <laughs> it's just like, what's going on? But obviously, the thing that makes the film most confusing as well is the fact that there are several different endings. So. There are loads of stories about how that when this film was released, they attached these different endings to different versions that were sent all over the place. So people were shown different versions, and it's only and it's only been like in later years have people compiled those endings together. Um, I'm still trying to work out with in my head which I think is the most realistic, but I know which one is my favourite. Um, so yeah, Paul, what did you think of Clue? Again, Clue made no. Uh, it, it didn't disguise itself in any way. From the word go, it says it's a comedy. Um, so I knew what I was coming into. I like things with labels. Um, so when I went in there, uh, I, I, I knew it was going to be a comedy. I didn't find it very funny, mind you. But um, but yeah, I, I knew it was going to be zany. It was going to be bonkers. Did I uh, like it? Uh, I like the fact that it was an hour and a half, uh, which is uh, which is which is quite good. It kept me interested. I didn't turn it off. Um, yeah, I, I I think I did in a funny type of way. It was really, I, I was intrigued as to how they were going to take this board game, which it obviously was, um, and, and turn it into a film and how they were going to twist it. And... It was interesting how they 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 incorporated the lead pipe and everything in you know in boxes the gifts that they they gave to people, um, and that they were all at a party and they were given these fictitious fictitious names. So yeah, I did um, I did quite like it, you know. Um, if I, if, yeah, if I was to rate the probably the four of them, one, two, three, four, I would probably say this was this was number, it was the third from the yeah, it was all right, it was okay. 
Well, he didn't turn it off, so it puts it like we'll have a level like a scale soon. So like Hubie Halloween and 2012, the disaster film, like they turned them off, and then Paul's they were like he didn't turn it off. <laughs> so we'll soon have a list of films that people turned off, didn't quite turn off, wanted to keep on. <laughs> we should get we should give it a percentage, shouldn't we? Of, of, <laughs> yeah. to sort of if we'd recommend it, a recommend like a, a number of thumbs up. Forget Rotten Tomatoes. We yeah. call it overripe oranges or something. Yeah. And just. Roger Ebert actually, I think, argued once that uh, one of the best rating systems was like the sit-in man, I think it's called. And it's just basically like a person like a theatre chair, asleep, a bit awake, like cheering. And that that was like the best rating system to use for a film. I was like, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, actually. Keep it simple, back to basics. Yeah. So you get the people who get out of their chairs and walk out, in which case it sort of (laughs) subverts the scale a bit. Or it shows like somebody there like cheering for like a film like... Grave of the Fireflies or something, you know. I will say that there are lines in this film that I unexpectedly laughed at. Um, mm. The slapstick was a bit too stupid for me at times, but, uh, like, what did you think of this, Kiara? I think for the first time in this podcast recording, I'm actually going to agree with Paul that I would probably put it third on the list. I suspect we put the first, second, and fourth as very different films. Um, but I just... My problem with Clue is I'd never seen it before I was asked to watch it for this podcast. And it's not really a murder mystery. It's a series of one-liners, very threadbare held together by something pretending to be based on a board game. So like, I agree with Craig, like some of the one-liners are funny and I laughed at a few of them, but didn't really think it was a particularly good murder mystery. And some of it, I mean, I understand what you're saying, Paul, that it was quite clever how they drew in all the weapons from the board game and that kind of thing. But to me, that just felt so contrived to say, mm. oh, look, we're making a film of a board game. I didn't think it made for a particularly good film overall. Yeah, I mean, the fact that... I think the thing that stops it from truly being a murder mystery is the fact that there are just multiple endings, right? So if one of the things you enjoy about the genre is actually watching the film and trying to work out who is actually the murderer throughout... Um, you can't really do it because when you watch the version that has all of the endings crammed together with, but what if this happened and this is what really happened? Like, you are just a bit betrayed. And although I am vindicated that the final ending, which, spoiler, is my favourite of the three, just because it is the dumbest ending, but it's also the one I sort of predicted. (laughs) Um, And it also has probably my favourite line ever to finish a film. Like, literally, so uh, the only spoiler I'll give is that, so basically these characters are being blackmailed uh, because they have a secret. Uh, One of the secrets uh, for one of the characters is just that he's gay. Uh, And back in those times, it would basically cost him his job. And in the final ending, it turns out he's an agent for the FBI trying to track down the killer. And then they they basically hand over the killer and he just turns the camera and goes, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. And then it just ends. I'm like, I just Uh, cried with laughter. I was like, wow. I tell you something else I absolutely loved. And I, 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 I don't often laugh at films. I don't find comedy films, especially American comedy films, very funny at all. But it did take me back to the last film that I ever, that I found funny, which was Airplane. It shows you how long ago that was. When the singing telegram came to the door. <laughs> no. <laughs> yep. She just opened the door and she went, hello, I'm your singing telegram. Bang, shot dead. Oh, it was... <laughs> Just 
just because it also came after a string of murders of characters we were yeah. introduced to. <laughs> so it literally was just like seeing a telegram, <laughs> just down. It was it was because it was such a throwaway thing that it was it, it was it was brilliant. It uh, is interesting as well how Kiara said, like I said, it's not really a whodunit, but it does always come up in these lists of like best murder mysteries. Like you know, I, I don't know how good we can say these are as film critics but you know you get good housekeeping which is like a famous magazine um and they put that as like they you know their number one uh whodunit but then you know google imdb good housekeeping they put a lot of weird films into what they categorize as murder mysteries or whodunits so you know you have like gone girl and you think okay maybe but then you got la confidential you got uh, scream and like memento and i'm like really you know it's no, like I, they're, yeah, they're I don't... Thr- they're thrillers, but, you know, I'm not sure if that then, you know, means that it's, you know, they even put, like, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Girl with Dragon Tattoo, you know, it's... What is the difference between a whodunit and a murder mystery? Because I think one of the greatest sort of whodunits, but it's not a traditional sort of whodunit murder mystery, Agatha Christie thing, is Usual Suspects, you know? And all the way through Usual Suspects, for me, it's like, did he do it? Did he do it? Did he? Yeah, you haven't got yeah. the, the, the policeman detective. But at the end, it turns it all right, and it's a really satisfying film. I, I, I think uh, yeah. Usual Suspects is great. To me, I suppose it's the difference when it's like a detective, you know, like I said, with Sherlock Holmes. I don't think, because that's more of an investigative thing. I don't see that as a who, you know, I suppose it is technically a whodunit. But it's just that element of, I don't know, to me, I just think of like, you know, the, the cast of characters, the person investigating, there's been some sort like, Midsummer, you know, there's been a murder and all this kind of stuff. Mm. But when it's something like there's a crime being committed and somebody's died as a part of it, or they hire these police to find, you know, so like another one that they mentioned, like the nice guys again, that, you know, it's, I guess in some ways, yeah, it does start off with, you know, the, there's a mysterious death at, at the beginning and everything like that. But then it carries so many tropes of like the buddy cop crime genre that you know i don't think that that fit quite fits it so yeah i think to me like a murder mystery or like whodunit is like the more typical cluedo like you know you know setup whereas like in an old-fashioned house round a drawing room yeah proper english butler yeah Yeah. um whereas like other ones like said they come more into the crime thriller detective sort of genre i was just gonna say for me i think one of the differences um, murder, mis- murder mysteries they tend to just try and like narrow down those options for you uh, and, like at the beginning and just have all the suspects together so you get to le- learn about them and try and gain the characteristics to be able to discover it with like the sort of crime fillers I-, I think that they're often willing to like bring in those characters later on and then try and introduce red herrings in that way uh, so you don't really get the same sort of character study aspect to it which i think is probably where i draw the line but uh like what would you say kiara i don't know i have to admit when i got the list of films for this session i was quite surprised there wasn't a sherlock holmes one on there because i think that's probably where for me there is that line between you know straight crime drama and whodunit and sherlock holmes probably sits almost exactly on that line and that some of them are fairly whodunity and some of them are just you know, police drama yeah. um, tied up in 18th century clothes. Well, like I said, we'll go to our last film now, which is Gosford Park. And again, this is, you know, like 
like we've referenced there, the films that we chose all tend to be the cast of characters, a family, uh, you know, which, you know, who who is it out of the family or the, you know, this posh people, you know, there's a certain detective. Uh, this one again, um, you know, to be honest, I, I never really heard of this before uh, Kiara had mentioned it. Um, it's uh, directed by Robert Altman. Again, massive cast. I'll try and list off some if I can. Maggie Smith, Michael Gambon, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, Camilla Rutherford, Charles Dance, uh, Geraldine Somerville, Tom Holland, and Natasha Reitman, Jeremy Northam, Bob Balaban, James Wilby, Claude... Claudie Blakely, Lawrence Fox, Trent Ford, Ryan Philippe. There's so many like different British actors in here. Some that you might recommend recognize from soaps. Uh, you know, Dame Helen Mirren is in this. You know, Stephen Fry, uh, Derek Jacobi, as we mentioned before. Uh, so it's a smorgasbord of uh, British talent. And uh, yeah, this is also, you know, set in like a, an English hunting club. You've got an American uh, film producer, director who's there. And uh, yeah, there's there's a murder that happens, but but this one is a lot different. That it, like you said before, you know, where you were talking about that play that starts with the murder. You know, this very much sets it up for a very long time, and it isn't really until maybe over halfway that it actually happens. So, um, what is it about this one you wanted to you know specifically mention, Kiara? I mean, to be honest, this film came on the list for me for purely nostalgia purposes because I hadn't seen it in about fifteen years. So thank you to the podcast for giving me the opportunity to rewatch what was one of my favourite films as about a 10, 12 year old, um, which I had, to be honest, completely forgotten the detail. I just remember really, really loving it. But it is, it's directed by Julian Fellows and you can tell because effectively it's a two hour episode of Downton Abbey that happens to have a murder in it. But for me, it has a lot of the elements that of that murder mystery that I do really enjoy. So things like we've discussed already about getting to know the characters and kind of everyone has a slightly different motive to want to kill the person who gets killed and then kind of slightly turning the trope on its head as well and the fact that he's actually been murdered twice which I think is as much of a spoiler without actually spoiling mm-hmm. um, and those kind of things and and then the trope with kind of the detective who can't even manage to say his own name because everyone's just ignoring him um, <laughs> and it's got those kind of funny moments built into what is also just a really good period drama so i really enjoy it yeah there's there's so many characters like you said and it has that element of the upstairs downstairs uh dynamic as well doesn't it so that's a big part of the period um paul you know had you seen this one before was this a first time watch or was this a revisit for you as well you don't remember upstairs, downstairs, do you? Get <laughs> they away a, with they you. Had, they You're had a not remi- that old. They had a remake, I, I think, didn't they, a few years ago? So that's why I, I knew it. Yeah, no, my great-grandmother was t- did tell me about that programme, I think, somewhere <laughs> along the line. But uh, yeah. what am I thinking? Well, uh, when I was actually researching it, I, I, I saw online on various different sources that this was originally set up as a film to introduce Downton Abbey. Now, I don't know how true that is, but there were various... Diff- it, it was covered in various different places. Um, and then they decided to go to, to, to split them up separately. And yeah, I agree with, uh, with everything that you, um, you said. Uh, you know, it is like an episode of Downton Abbey. Uh, not that I've seen uh, Downton Abbey. It's very, very, it's very, very grand and it's very, very nostalgic. And, uh, you know, it's great. But uh, as you said, the murder 
doesn't actually occur till about three quarters of the way through the murder mystery. Um, the biggest mystery to me about the entire thing was, what is the detective doing there? He doesn't do anything. He just comes in and he goes, ah, yes, no, don't do that, don't do that. I'll tell you what I think later. I'm just going back to the um, office. And off he goes. And he doesn't actually reveal anything at all. The 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 uh, reveal is done as part of the the, the plot. The, the the characters re- reveal it themselves. And I thought, well, what is the, the, the is Stephen Fry on 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 some kind of um, tender or something that he's going to come back? Um, I I love how Paul has found the mystery within the mystery in every I know, film. It's I like what's just, the, as, the mystery as the magicians is the, always do that. You know? Yeah. Why is there twelve stab wounds and nobody has figured it out etc. I know. know. Well, it did. What? There was twelve stuff. Twelve people, not in Gosford Park, mind you. No. Uh, And I did look up the wrong film first of all. There's a Gosford Park apparently, and there's a Gosforth Park. I don't oh, know if okay. it was a goth fifth and a goth sixth. I don't know, um, but I did get the the, uh, the the right film of the year, and I did, yeah, I did, uh, I did enjoy it as as a, a period piece. You know, going back to thing as a um, as a, a murder mystery. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was okay. It was, uh, it was all right. I put it uh, second for credibility. If I could put these these in an order, I'd probably put. Uh, uh, Murder on the Orient Express top, and then I'd put uh, Gosford Park second, and then I'd put Clue, and then I'd put Knives at the bottom because I didn't really know what to make of it. Um, but I did, uh, I did like this. It was very, very uh, traditional, very well shot, uh, as you say, and it had that nostalgic feel to it. I so, think yeah. per- perfect time though is that we now need to know Kiara's ranking because, like she said, that it would be the reverse of Paul. So we just need to know how how po- how different they are. Then I dare you to put knives out <laughs> at the top. Go on, <laughs> above Agatha Christie. Go on, go on, do it. I yeah, I'm going to because this particular <laughs> adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express was horrific. Poirot was terrible. So yeah, I agree with you about number three and disagree about everything else. I think. Um, on number one and two are definitely, for me, Knives Out and Gosford Park. Which one I'd put top depends on if I'm being um, accurate from what I think is probably a better overall film or which one, you know, is tied to childhood memories of going to the DVD rental store. <laughs> so for pure nostalgia in the spirit of the film, I have to put Gosford Park first and then Knives Out, then Clue. And then that Murder on the Orient Express, I don't think should ever have been made. I mean, I love ensemble <laughs> films, but... They should have just had a better Poirot. Well, with with Paul's like problems about, you know, like the detective's role in it and what their intention was, I think Craig would have like the best answer for that, for what like the, the film is going for, I think, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So this is also discussed in Just Right's essay that David mentioned earlier. But realistically, the film is mostly about like the relationship between the upper classes and the working classes, right? So a lot of what we learn about the the actual upper classes anyway is usually by conversations shared by the staff staff around them. Um, So I think the answer to what is the detective doing there is that often he's trying to get to the heart of everything, but the, the, the upper class is just dismissing him to the point that like they still look down on him, even though he's meant to have a part he's meant to have power over them they just see their own status as above that but he then in and of itself has power over his detective so he's even ignoring their advice so when it then comes to the fact that like nothing actually comes of it for the consequences for uh for the murderers murderers i should say 
that's just another that's just another sign of like like the aristocracy in those days just having ultimate power over the system to the point that they've done this act they have just gotten away with it um so i think it was just going for that sort of message as well and that i think that's why they spent so much time like indulging uh, indulging in the luxury of these characters even to the point that you have a rich character parading themselves as a valet who ends up doing some pretty horrific things to like some of the staff and some of the some of the guests um literally just abusing that power and i think that's what the film mostly mostly came down to for me that's why uh like i really like i, I really like austin park i've been wanting to watch it in full for several years after i tried watching it a few years ago on channel four and my house had a power cut 20 minutes in. And then the murderer came out and stabbed Crane. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I just didn't feel he moved the plot on at all. He wasn't there for a tremendous amount of time. He was there for probably about 10, 15 minutes of screen time on and off. So if they wanted to make the point, okay, they could have brought him in earlier just... Uh, Potted him a bit. It just seemed as if he'd been chucked in as an afterthought on that section of of the film, and he didn't serve any purpose. It seemed almost like intentional then to me, because it almost was as if he was from like a Fry and Laurie kind of sketch that he just came in and was kind of doing his, like you said, Stephen Fry kind of thing. Because you can't really make it about the detective when the murder comes in so late, and and the film seems very focused on always diverting your attention. So whereas you think, oh, I'll follow the detective, you know, several times throughout the film they're like oh this important conversation is going on but this like sidetracked to what the servant is currently putting on the plate or you know let's look at this uh, cute dog that everyone keeps like you know throwing around the place which i'm glad that dog was all right by the end by the way because uh, that dog got a lot of uh, you know get that scraggy dog out of here it's like a oh, poor dog um i do like the foreshadowing towards the murder though so the fact that even though the murder does come in like quite late into the film the fact that they build it up by talk- by just having that scene with like the, the missing knife Mm. Um, being discussed by yeah. the staff, something that uh, in any other context would be relatively innocent, but there like has the foreboding nature. Yeah, so if there's any film that was literally going to be called Knives Out, then this would be... The, <laughs> yes, the it should be this one. <laughs> I did enjoy it. I didn't... I wasn't on, on Tenterhooks going, oh, who's going to be killed? When are they going to get killed? When are they going to get killed? I was swept up in the, the atmosphere of everything. You know, anyway, so yeah, I did, uh, you know, I I quite enjoyed it. But the policeman did stick out a little bit for me. And the big cast of characters, I think, isn't it? Because there's so many people you're just bouncing back and forth between like storyline to storyline to storyline. I think that's what keeps you engaged as well, isn't it? And and yeah, it does have some bizarre moments. Like I said, when the the American director is just there on the phone talking about the details of his film as like a murder mystery is happening right behind him kind of thing, which (laughs) is is a bit crazy. Um, And yeah, it, it... I felt it, it kind of like, again, you know, without too big a spoilers, but it kind of ended on just like a very somber, like gentle note as well. I was kind of like, oh, OK, you know, it wasn't, you know, a, a massive climactic ending. And I think, I think possibly, you know, that's what's interesting for the Movie Vault this week. So for those who don't know, like our section, which is the Movie Vault, which we discuss in every episode, uh, you know, we have a vault of movies which we want to preserve for all time uh, so that if anybody was to dig it up, say, in 100 years' time, these would be the best depictions of film and movies, which can be bad and can be good, you know, where they're to, you know, represent the different uh, eras and different genres. And I think from the conversation we had so far, like I said, is that we've already mentioned that they are better versions of movies on the Orient Express. I know that you said that that was top of your list, Paul, but then 
uh, like said, you know, we, there's other versions you haven't seen before. So, and mm. then uh, Knives Out is already in there. I think we've mentioned that as uh, one of our top films from last year. So that's that's gone into there. So it really does come down to Clue and Gosford Park as to as to you know whether one of those films deserves to go into the movie vault and. I, I, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think just leave it up to you guys, I think. <laughs> How many films are we putting in the movie vault? <laughs> well, like I said, you know, usually it can be two to three and sometimes we might put none and sometimes we might just put one. But, you know, it, it's what what you think deserves to go in, I think, really is, you know, if they're representing the murder mystery genre, like I said, I, I don't know. Because, again, Gossip Park, I don't know to me whether that, like you said, to me, it was more of a period piece. It was a nice, you know, big ensemble cast. But did I feel, I didn't know if Michael Gambon's character was, say, in the example of Murder on the Orient Express, that character becomes the character of, you know, like, uh, I can't remember his name now, but, you know, Johnny Depp's character in in this case, um, he becomes, you know, the character, you know, he makes a big impact within that first 10, 15 minutes and they talk about him throughout and everyone's got his vendetta against him. Whereas I didn't think that they quite made him enough of a villain or enough of a, a nuisance to make him because I didn't I wasn't even sure who was going to die kind of thing mm. so I'm not sure if that that was a strong enough hook on his part to make it like oh who's going to kill him who was the person who had a vendetta against him kind of thing for me that's also what I liked as well right I also like the idea that for a while you you're unsure of who's going to die because all of these mm. people in some way again are just causing grievances for people but i think i think for like the the character development aspect of the murder mystery which is often what causes the biggest hook as well as just finding out the mystery in and of itself i think gossip park does do that quite effectively to the point that i would argue it should go in yeah i think for me also just quickly is just that there wasn't enough element of like it could have been any of them because there were so many people in that dinner scene and the piano that you already like counted half of them out. So I thought one of the strengths was that there was such a big cast. You thought, oh, wow, it was a massive pool of people it could be. But you already knew it wasn't like three quarters of them, especially because you saw it was like, well, obviously in the end, I won't spoil it too much, but you initially think that like, oh, well, uh, a certain gender is taken out of it because you see like the footsteps of one particular gender yeah. that that later doesn't become the case fully but yeah it kind of seemed unfortunate that you don't get that aspect of like oh you know like it could have been any of them and you know like and they all like in knives out they all could have had their motives they all could have had the the ways oh you were out of the room at that time you were there you know that kind of aspect mm. kiara <laughs> yeah i mean it's not a traditional murder mystery so whether it should go in as an example of a murder mystery genre, I wouldn't say it's like the quintessential perfect whodunit. But what it is, I think, is it's quite a clever way of, like we said before, subverting the tropes, like the clearly intentional way that you think the detective is going to be important, but then he's not. The fact that the murderee gets murdered twice, the kind of the overall view of it, like we discussed before, where they kind of, they talk about the motive way before the murder happens. And then the murder itself only happens fairly late on. So, I mean, I really like this film um, and I would put it in, but I don't think I would put it in labeling it as a perfect murder mystery. It's more an interesting subversion of the murder mystery trope for me. Yeah. Which to be fair, all the films today that we've discussed, apart from Murder on the Orient Express, because it's an adaptation of the most, uh, like famous murder mystery story there is 
all the films we've discussed today are in ways a version of the murder mystery. Well, even Murder on the Orient Express is because it isn't one person as well. You know, it, it does subvert in yeah. that sense as well. So the fact that, yeah, I, I, and like you said, because Knives Out inspired this, this is almost like you said, I think you convinced me there, Kiara, that it's an early Knives Out that is subverting the expectation by early on. So, you know, so are, are we all agreed then the clue wouldn't go in? It's a bit too stupid yeah. to go yeah. in. Yeah. So you would agree with Gosford Park then, Paul? Uh, if, if we're only putting one in, no, yeah. I wouldn't. I, I, you know what I'm going to say, Kiara. Uh, I would personally put in, as a snapshot, if you're looking at of time, right? So mm. you, because I haven't seen any of the other adaptations of Agatha Christie. So if you're looking uh, at a snapshot of time, say from uh, 2017, on the year 2017, <laughs> the best um, uh, movie, movie uh, the best mystery film, uh, yeah, uh, I would definitely, out of all of them, out of all the, um, the, the murder mysteries that I've seen last week, the 2017 murder mysteries that I've seen last week, I would say it's going to be Merge from the Orange Express. But you still, you'd still say that you appreciate the, the inclusion of Gosford Park. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was I one of the Goss- tops, yeah, wasn't it? Your, your ranking, I think, was, was a clue and knives out to the bottom, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't do clue. You know, I, no. I yeah, Goss, Gosford Park. I can. Uh, I can appreciate that production values and everything. It was. It was a nice, nice film. I'll be the judge in this situation. Then I've heard the arguments, and uh, I think the majority uh, for it. Uh, put on hammer is uh, Gosford Park goes into the movie vault this week. Uh, like I said, we'll we'll maybe have another episode where all the versions of uh, Murder on the Orient Express co- combat against each other, Paul. <laughs> I'm going to have to join a debating club on something. I'm, I'm going away to join a debating club now. Uh, Craig can link you up with that. <laughs> if you want to put in Murder on the Orient Express, you can as a perfect example of how to ruin a film without context. Don't you dare. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> we'll put in the 1970s one, even though you know some of us may not have seen it but maybe paul will go watch it and compare the two afterwards <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to do that i'm gonna have to watch some um uh some of these other ones now yeah what, what well, do you think kiara is the best adaptation i will go downstairs as soon as we finished and i've done the other bit i shall go downstairs and i shall switch it on and i shall watch it which is the best adaptation of it I just think if you want to see what Poirot's character should have been, you need to go watch any of the David Suchet adaptations of any Agatha Christie, because that's a proper Poirot. <laughs> and it's not quite the same thing as whatever rubbish Kenneth Braddock was doing <laughs> in that film. Yeah, he's not really Belgian, though, you know. <laughs> We're in the end game now. Okay, end game time. So we've been talking a lot about uh, whodunits in this episode. So this time we're going to be having a who David. Uh, so what I've set up is a murder mystery where one of us has killed David. <laughs> so, uh, basically what will happen is I will give you clues uh, to basically like lead you along. And the first person to dis- discover uh, David's killer will be the winner of this game. Uh, but first we'll get initial thoughts. So, Kiara, who do you think has killed David? Probably you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... It's definitely yeah, great. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it was <laughs> me. Okay, so... I could say that better. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Yeah, okay, so this this game seems a bit pointless now. Uh, oh, that went well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I think we're going to do something else. We're in the end game now. Oh, it's so annoying. 
Okay, end game time. So we've been discussing a lot of films about like murder mysteries, uh, but I think that a lot of other films are notorious for having deaths and murders. So we are going to be playing a game which is simply called Who Done It. So this will be a fastest finger first. What will happen is I will give you a film title. Uh, I want you to buzz in if you can tell me the name of the character who is the killer in this film. Okay, uh, what I will say is that some of these killers are not necessarily going to be traditional. Uh, so just to do a quick test, if I said to you who is the killer in Titanic... The ship. It's not the ship. Uh, the iceberg. Yeah, the iceberg is correct in that situation. But So basically... Oh, right, okay. Yeah, okay. does, does the weirdness of my idea now make a bit of sense? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I can... Um, I wouldn't have argued that when I... Heard... <laughs> so, are we ready? Yep, here we go. Okay, first kill... Uh, so, first film, American Psycho. Kiara. Do I have to give the actual name? It's the, the guy who does the stupid speech at the beginning, whose name I never remember. Okay, uh, his name would be useful because many people could have done a stupid speech. (laughs) But it's a really stupid speech. It's the only thing I remember about the film. I fell asleep 15 minutes in straight after the stupid speech. I haven't seen it, so I couldn't tell you. Okay, uh, what I'll do then is I'll give half... I can give half a point if somebody can tell me the actor. So basically, Kiara, can you tell me at least who... Christian Bale. Christian Bale is correct for half a mark. So... Next film, The Lion King. Paul. Scar. Scar is correct. Uh, next film, we have Psycho. Paul. Norman Bates. Norman Bates is correct. Next up, we have The Silence of the Lambs. That is Kiara. Hannibal Lecter. I can't accept because he is not necessarily the killer in Silence of the Lambs. Oh. oh. Paul? I'm just going to say Hannibal Lecter's well, but I'm not. I'm going to say, oh, Lord, what was, oh, God, uh, what was his name? Uh, I can't remember his name, so, no. It was Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill. Of course it was, yeah. He was the killer they were hunting for. Yeah. Uh, but they went to Hannibal Lecter for help. Yeah. Um, Hannibal Lecter was also a killer, though, so I do think I should get half a point. <laughs> I, you, you know what? I will give you half a point because you identified a killer in the film. Oh, are not... you ganging up here, you lot? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to make up the ground that I'm losing. <laughs> Next up, we have Manhunter. Martian? <laughs> I, I haven't seen it. Manhunter. Uh, no idea. Nope. I don't think I've even heard of it. Okay, you're one of those hate... shark ones or something. <laughs> nope, you're gonna hate yourselves. That one actually is Hannibal Lecter. Oh wow! <laughs> it's the <laughs> no, that's not fair. It's the wow. um. So it, it's basically one of the one of the books in the series. They made it into a uh, they made it into a film, but then when they had uh, when they cast uh, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter for Science of the Lambs, they then remade it as Red Dragon. Oh, if it just said Red Dragon, I'd have known. Yeah, I mean, that's also a different film. That's why I didn't say it. (laughs) Okay, next up we have Kill Bill. (laughs) Kiara? 
whatever the name of the character played by Uma Thurman is. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to go down the route of, can I have half a point? Because I don't. <laughs> well, the thing, the thing is, that character doesn't have a name. So if I wanted to, I could award a full point for that. Although, But she does have a character name, which is The Bride. So Kiara will get half a point for that. Yeah, but hold on. I didn't say anything, which really is the character's name. <laughs> you also didn't buzz in, so I can't award you anything anyway. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, okay. Next. All right. Next film, Bambi. Paul. The ice. The ice. <laughs> Was there it ice in Bambi? Doesn't it slip on the ice? <laughs> Winter, winter is a common killer of animals. <laughs> Ice is a common killer of animals. There were loads of animals at the Titanic. <sighs> that was the correct answer, Titanic. I think you got them wrong way around. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm doing the Morecam a Wise sketch where I'm answering yeah. all the questions in the wrong order. <laughs> okay, Sorry. so uh, so it's not Ice. Uh, Kiara's now buzzed in. Whatever the name of the character with the shotgun was. They shot the So I'm going to be a bit harsher on this one. So there was no name for that hunter, but he was specifically just a hunter. So I'm not sure if I can accept that guy with the shotgun. I think I think in the context though that Paul didn't even guess that it was the mother who died because you thought it was Bambi <laughs> that died, was it? <laughs> so these, so I you would say that. You can't do that just because he's guilty. <laughs> she must be innocent. You can't do that. <laughs> okay, no points for that one. Uh, I mean, uh, if that's how you feel you, uh, about that one, I don't know what you're going to think about this one. Uh, King Kong. Paul. The unnamed character in the plane <laughs> with the machine gun. So there is a reason I can't accept it because it's not the explanation given in the film. Oh. <laughs> what? Which version of the film? Is the original. this, is the, this original. the version of the film with Jack Black in it? No, it's the, origi- it's the original. Like, I tell you what, if Kiara doesn't get the exact explanation, you will get half a point. I have never seen any version of this film, so I have no opinion on what or who killed whoever dies in Okay, uh, the correct answer was Beauty, because twas Beauty that killed the beast. I'd already No, that's a sub- Disney film, that is. <laughs> oh! You've got a different film. I got Titanic, you got the... Di- yeah, it's okay, yeah. Classic, classic line, guys. Classic line. <laughs> twas Beauty killed the beast. Yeah, all right, okay. Okay, next film, The Shining. Oh, oh, where's me buzzer? Paul. Jack Torrens. Yep, that is correct. Next up, we have Thelma and Louise. Paul. Thelma and Louise. They both killed themselves. They drove off a. Uh, they they drove off the. Um... So both of them had an accelerator in the car, did they? <laughs> no, but they were they were encouraging each other. Half. <laughs> I will give you half a point for identifying. One of them could—they could have jumped out. Could, could have gone, I'm not doing this. You carry on and do it by right. yourself. No, they, they both wanted to do it. Right, Paul. Paul, just a spoil. At this point, you've already won. Um, 
just to give Kiara a chance for a bonus point, uh, can you tell me which of the two was driving the car? Not a clue, not seen that one either. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, a 50-50 chance. Let's go Louise, because that's better alliteratively. <laughs> yep, Louise was driving the car. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the end of that game, which I'm pretty sure has made my guest the angriest I've ever seen this, Kiara <laughs> uh, got two, Paul is the winner with four. Can I just hey. say, Craig, I'm not normally this competitive. You bring out the mean in me. <laughs> it is funny as well because, like, the clip we often use from, like, previous Endgames is Kara saying, like, oh, it's so annoying. And, like, again, she's, like, the most calm, like, placid person we have on the podcast. <laughs> but, again, something about the Endgames with Kiara is, like, brings out this competitive nature in them all. <laughs> I had the worst luck with them. <laughs> you won the last one. Uh, That's well, that, that was musicals so well done uh paul and uh yeah thank you guys for joining us today uh it's been lots of fun talking about murder mysteries and uh whodunits and yeah go check out our recommendations uh especially gosford park if you think that there's another film that should have gone into the movie vault uh <laughs> such as the 2017 uh, um, version on the Orient of express. On the Orient express yeah, yeah. message message paul and uh you, <laughs> you could talk about it there um so guys uh kiara we can catch you i'll see on previous episodes if you want to check out when you were talking about musicals and uh, the Eurovision movie, which, you know, who would have guessed that would have been one of the biggest uh, films of the year as we still didn't have any cinematic releases after that was out. And uh, actually, what was it? Uh, ya Ya Ding Dong become a massive hit. That was like on the radio for weeks after after watching that. Thank you. And uh, Paul, where, where can we catch yourself? Uh, I know you've got a project upcoming for Christmas. Yeah, I'm, I'm very privileged, actually, because I was contacted by a, a very esteemed gentleman from the uh, from the North Pole who tends to be very prevalent uh, in children's thoughts uh, throughout the world at this time of the year. And uh, due to the, uh, the, the pandemic and, uh, and everything, um, he's not going to be able to get out and see as many children as he normally does in shopping centres and everything. So I don't know where he got my number from, but... Uh, um, he contacted me uh, and asked me if it was uh, possible for, for me to uh, facilitate him being able to uh, talk to children all over the world um, via uh, a streaming service. So, yeah, I'm working with Santa and we're doing live video calls um, to uh, children uh, throughout the uh, throughout the UK. Yeah, so uh, that's very exciting. Great. Wait, wait, can we catch that? Is that a certain website or a certain social yeah, or anything is, like it's that? Yeah, it would help, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I never make a marketer or a musketeer. Uh, Pocket. that's S-A-N-T-A-S pocket, as in P-O-C-K-E-T, .co.uk. If you go there, you can sign up. And I've finally managed to work out how to integrate a calendar and PayPal with Zoom and a website and uh, and everything else without it all exploding. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, we've got our own Christmas uh, festivities coming up as well. Uh, Craig, I'll go to you for that one. So due to the scheduling of the podcast, uh, one of our episodes for December will perfectly come out on Christmas Day. So we wanted to treat the fans at home with something special. So we're having a very uh, a very special festive-themed endgame episode. So this will be the second one we've done after our successful episode from September. Uh, we'll be bringing back former guests in teams, uh, teams of two, three of them again, where we'll be doing all of the usual uh, chaotic games that we're used to 
uh, but with some more of a bit of a festive theme. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. If you have any ideas of things you'd like to see, please get in touch. I'm more than happy to work on ideas. Yeah, Craig was Thanos in that one. This time he's going to be Father Christmas, dealing out uh, dealing out the gifts, but maybe the coal as well for the people who don't get a, <laughs> don't get the right ones. <laughs> so yeah, you can catch us guys uh, on all our socials as well. Well, good movies on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can catch us on our website, which is freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies. You can also catch a bunch of different articles and uh, think pieces on there. We've got plenty of reviews, a lot of Christmas stuff that's come out, including Jingle Jangle. Uh, you know, you've got uh, a look back at Toy Story, uh, Anastasia, which is another animated musical, uh, and An Alien Christmas, which is another weird uh, Netflix original. So uh, lots of fun stuff to go through on there. And uh, yeah, hope to catch you guys soon. So please uh, follow us, review us, share this episode wherever you can. And uh, we look forward to chatting movies with you again in the future. Thank you again, uh, Paul and Chiara. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Ah! I leave the ah there you go found it got it see you later bye